Hey everybody, welcome to Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. I really want to thank you for listening. If you feel compelled to do so, make sure you subscribe, uh, leave a review, comment, share, whatever you feel like doing. Help me out trying to grow this podcast, trying to continuously deliver value. A couple of things before we get into the show, check out the links in the show notes to my CRA Academy my CRC Academy, both of them doing very well as far as getting people jobs in the marketplace. Check those out. Also, if you need help getting studies for your site or anything else, or even launching a site, basically any help for your site, we have a low monthly fee consulting service where we have helped many clients become and continue to be successful site owners through our background efforts of business development and support staff text me 949-415-6256 please check out the links in the show notes as well for the book the comprehensive guide to clinical research it's been selling really well getting very well received by the community thank you guys so much for that also check out the youtube member page join this channel to get perks that's my youtube uh, membership it's 10 bucks a month you get a monthly mastermind exclusively it's a zoom call every month with other youtube members uh, you also get weekly videos exclusive to the youtube members on how to use social media to improve your opportunities in life sciences so check that out really means a lot to me and thank you so much again for listening and enjoy the show guru nation Thank you so much for watching. Welcome back. This is another episode of Random Musings from Clinic with Charles Guru. I have Dr. Juan Rondon. This is something we re- we've never discussed, even in this book. Like we just barely gloss over phase one, mainly because I don't know very much about it. And also another reason is because it's it's healthy volunteer. So it's like it's the phase before for the most part it's the phase before the drug gets used on the actual medical condition on patients with the actual medical condition so phase one's primarily healthy volunteer there's different elements of phase one sad mad we're gonna get into as much as we can with dr rondon uh who's a pi for phase one thank you so much dr rondon for coming on Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a really and, pleasure. And thank you, Carla, for setting this up. Carla's going to be my co-host today because she's phase one guru. So anything that I don't ask. See, I don't even know enough about this to ask proper questions. So Carla's co-host. She's going to she's the adult supervision for this uh, podcast. So, Dr. Rondon, uh, first of all, thank you. And can you explain a little bit about your background? Like, how do you become a phase one PI. How does this even happen? Well, uh, basically, I am board certified in general medicine, uh, primarily. Uh, I was doing mostly hospitalist and a little bit of outpatient. Um, it was very circumstantial. I, I got approached by, by a friend of mine who uh, I was talking to him to try to get into research. And for whatever reason, we couldn't get in, in, into any agreement but he was, he's, he always, Carla know him, uh, was help, uh, willing to help me. Uh, until one day, and like, again, circumstantial, he needs me uh, uh, so uh, urgent 
that he brought me in with zero experience. But his unit was uh, mainly, mainly, I would say 97% phase one. Um, again, when I started working there, there was a doctor who was in his way out. So I got little time to, to learn the basic um, about phase one, but different from other investigators, my background is mainly phase one. I, I started doing research uh, on phase one, and uh, I, in that, in that uh, site, I did approximately like a 60 phase one uh, study. And let me, uh, if you allow me to actually to walk a little bit like what is phase one, uh, what is the difference between uh, in phase one and, and late phases? Um, so, you know, any drugs to get approved uh, into the marker, first, uh, there are uh, study or experiment done in animal. Once they determine that the drug won't kill the animal, actually, they go into the first phase of phase one. Uh, so, you know, uh, basically, uh, technically speaking, because that, that studies are called first in human. So those studies are usually small, like a nine people, and you had you got now approved by the FDA, a sentinel group, which is a one uh, active and one placebo. And once you do that, um, then you know the rest of the the the, the cohort or the or the uh, subjects get the drugs, and that's the first step into the drug getting to the other phases of phase one. You mentioned sad math. Uh, there is also drug drug interaction. There are PK study because that's the mainly the, the purpose and the objective of per, phase one is to determine the what the drugs does to your body and what the body does to the drugs, PK and PD. That's the first phase. So they determine first what is the maximum dose that the healthy soldiers can tolerate. And then after they determine that, what is the safety or what is the profile of that drug in your body, you know, the interactions and and and, and so forth and so on. That's mainly done in a number, a limited number of people, 200, 300, um, and they're usually healthy, even though sometimes they want to, uh, for example, there are studies that they want to investigate drugs in healthy compared with obese uh, patients. So they do that, that study. They want to uh, do the study, with, they compare the drug during the fasting and during the fed period. That's another type of phase one. Um, and then, you know, there are other special phase one studies, like those, those, those DDI, those, those interactions that you uh, give the subjects uh, medications that are inhibitor of the P450 cytochrome system, and sometimes they give drugs that are inducer. So they determine on the those circumstances what the, the compound, the, the, the investigational product is going to do under these two different uh Condition that I said, uh, single dose ascending dose, single ascending dose uh, study that usually uh, are combined by math, multiple ascending dose. We have done uh, a few of them, and then uh, finally there are phase one, especially designed for a special population. Every drugs, even including drugs that are already approved, have to be determined how it's going to be the liver metabolism. So you will study patient with liver condition. A different range of liver condition, mild, moderate, and severe, and the same way drugs that have elimination in the renal through the renal system. Then we do uh, a renal, uh, a special population in renal and renal subjects, uh, mild, moderate, severe, severe without dialysis, and severe with dialysis. And we match them 
all of them with control group, meaning that every, based on age, weight, sex, or gender, we uh, match them with the, uh, each one of these uh, special uh, population group. That's basically, you know, there is often obvious more than that, more than that, but that's basically the design of the phase one studies. So we'll definitely, yeah, thank you for that overview. I think we'll unpack a lot of that in this interview. I think a lot of people are going to benefit from watching this and listening. By the way, guys, make sure you like, subscribe, comment, share. Dr. Rondon's LinkedIn is underneath the video. So click on the link, go to his LinkedIn, connect with him. Um, you said a couple of things there, and we're going to try to get to all of them. And Carla, help me out when I forget something. The first thing you said, maximum tolerated dose, I think maybe most people understand this, but where it gets more complex is what the drug does to the body and what the body does to the drug. So PK and PD, pharmacokinetic, pharmacodynamic. Can you kind of, first of all, are these two things done at the same time as getting maximum tolerated dose or is that established first and then you go into PK, PD? Well, you know, uh, first in human means that they're going to do the minimum, the minimum tolerated dose for every uh, mo molecule or investigational product. And then once you establish that that dose is safe to be applied to the human, then you go through all this process. Usually PK is the most important one because it's the, what, what, you know, is the one who's going to determine uh, the, the level of what the drug is going to do if it gets approved to a, a, uh, a following uh, phase, you know, so you determine uh, how the, the body metabolizes the drugs, and, and that's very important. And sometimes they do PK, um, sorry, PK and PD at the same time. But usually PK is done separately. It has its own single rule. You need a special labs. You need a special timeline after you get the drugs. Sometimes it's single drugs. Sometimes it's multiple drugs. Sometimes you get one dose and you do PKs or sometimes you get multiple dose in different cohorts, in parallel series and parallel studies that every uh, surgery is some control. So you switch from one cohort, or um, I'm sorry, one period to the next uh, after the watch out period. So it's different design on, on the uh, clinical research. The most important is that the, the PK is very important to determine the safety of the drugs. And then Maybe what would be the difference between a PK and a PD doctor in, in like basic oh. terms? PK is what the body does to the drugs. I mean, you know, you get the drugs and the body metabolizes the drugs. And the PD is what the drugs do to the body. You know, the side effects profile, the interactions with other uh, medications, the interaction with food. So that's mainly the, the, the main difference. PK, what the... Uh, body due to the uh, due to the drugs and the PD, what the drugs do to the body. But yeah, and then one of the things that we are always looking at when we do the steps studies is looking at the peak of the medication. So we want to see uh, what, how long does it take for that peak to come in? That's going to be very important for the next phase of the study because now we know that, for example, at 30 milligrams, it is the peak that the body can. Uh, resists and doesn't have so many side effects, then we can do from there single dosing studies, going to food effect studies, what happens if we go fasting, non-fasting, uh, what happens if we give um, now multiple dosing? Is that 
maximum tolerators every day, every week. Do the patients um, get sicker? Do the patients get better? You know, so that portion, first portion of the study, it's super important because I will tell the company what's the design that they need to use for the phase two and phase three. That's that's how we find out sometimes our medications are good once a week, every day and things like that because mm. they trying to find out the peak and then how the body metabolize it and how we're going to use this information for my next design. So that's kind of why so we're doing this one. Are these, because you mentioned so many things, Carla, all these things are different endpoints, right? That they're looking at. So most sponsors, they want to just get done with phase one and go to phase two. So are all these things done in the one study? Or are you telling me there's numerous phase one studies for the same compound? No, no. So the phase one protocols are kind of complex when it comes to that. And maybe Dr. Ronton can speak a little bit about that. But we sometimes, our phase one protocols has about eight to nine procedures done within the same compound of ours. What do I need? So for example, let's say that we are going to give a dose to a patient at eight in the morning. So that means we're going to get a PK or a PD sample just before 15 minutes because we want to know what the blood is baseline, right? Then maybe we're going to need to get an ECG baseline. Maybe we need to get a set of holter on baseline. Maybe we need to do um, electro uh, neurologic things baseline. Maybe questionnaire is baseline because we need to know to have a baseline. And then we start, we give the drug and then we start 15, 20, uh, so, um, 35, 45 minutes, an hour, two hours, an hour and a half, and so on. So it really depends on what the company is looking at. So if I'm, I'm, I'm doing something for cardiovascular, maybe I have a holter 24 hours, and I want to have an ECG also done every, every time point that we're getting blood. Or if I'm doing a medication that comes with um, cholesterol, I don't know, maybe I want to give a breakfast or don't give a breakfast to see what is important. So this is where we try or the sponsors would try to get as much information as they can with the minimum patients. Because one, because we don't know if the drug is safe enough. We don't want to expose more people to that. However, we need to get more data. Dr. Rondo, maybe you can give another example like that. No, basically, you know, it's, it's important in phase one, well, in, in research is important, but in phase one, every design has its purpose. So when you get a protocol, you have to read through the whole design. Why are you doing this study? Most of the studies in healthy population, they are placebo control. So remember that you know those patients may be exposed to the molecular or to the, or to the IP, to the investigational problem, but some of them, depending on the randomization uh, uh, rate, uh, one of them, I mean, three, three, for example, three of them is going to receive the active compound. One of them is going to receive placebo. Sometimes one, one, one receiving because there are multiple uh, uh, doses of, of the medication. So you have the protocol that explain at this time, most of the time, I would say 90% of the time, remember, it's, it's a compound. They, they don't have any number. They have, sometimes they don't define or, you know, the scientific who designed the study, they mention why are we getting this study? But there is no uh, number, there are only uh, letters uh, uh -huh. to the protocol because it's a compound. It's not even, sometimes you can have a, a study that they don't even know uh, what the purpose of the, of the compound is going to be. It's only if it's safe to use the compound in humans or if it's not. And that's what I do first in human and then they expose 
a number of people that are deep, that are uh, two types mainly of, of phase one, uh, phase one A, phase one B, whether they go through one, you know, what is the maximum, I mean, what is the safest dose and what is the maximum tolerated dose? So those 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 studies are you know are kind of the same, but they're different in the design. And very important, very important in, in this type of study to read what is the investigational brochure. Because remember, it hasn't been used at all. So they have to collect the data from animal studies, and you know, you have to read uh, the investigational brochure to be sure what is the most common side effects when those medications were exposed to, to animal first. And if we do any pilot or, or, or control studies in, in the human population, what is uh, so basically set phase one set the, the pace to the later phases. Now that you have a group PK, now you have a safety profile, you then go into the fa late phases to determine, well, you know, this medication is gonna be used for diabetes. Well, you know, this is, and then we're gonna use diabetes, we're gonna use healthy. And, and you know, but it set the, the pace for the next uh, stages or phases? I think it's important because as most of the people in this industry are phase two, three sites or CRAs, right? It's a very specialized skill set, like you, doctor and Carla. This is why you guys are so valuable and why sponsors love you guys because there's very few people in, in this industry who have that, that, uh, that knowledge, that capability. And oftentimes, myself included, you know, we work phase two, phase three. We don't appreciate phase one. Uh, some some sites don't even read the investigator brochure. And you guys go to great lengths to get all that data in there. And, you know, you get this thick, you know, thick binder, like 300 pages. What do you do? You just put it in your reg binder and you, you hope the sponsor can tell you cliff note version. Okay. What are you looking for? Cardiac, this and that. But I think this is giving me like a, a new, and I hope more people watching, listening, get more of an appreciation for how this stuff comes. It doesn't just magically come out of nowhere, guys. It's doctors like Dr. Rhonda and it's people like Carla that go through. Um, you mentioned phase 1A and 1B. Can you just like in a very simple term explain the difference? Well, it is is based on the design of the study. So phase A, uh, phase one A mainly is to determine the PK. Do you do the PK and, and those type of study, determine what is the maximum dose that anybody can tolerate. And they go on to more detail in phase one uh, B, whether you more like analyze what is the side effects of, of those medications. So it's basically the same. I mean, there is no different. Sometimes they don't even bother to mention, but once one once in a while you see this is a phase one B and the phase one B are not as intensive sometimes as the uh, phase one A as they can be done as a patient. Patient come to the visit and, and you know get the dose and, and, and it's more phase two B is more like a late what most people know about late phases, outpatient visit, and, and so forth and so on. But those studies have his already all, uh, you know, uh, early beginnings in the phase 1A, and this is just a continuation uh, just to determine what is more safe for those uh, subjects to, to, to go into the, for, for the compound to go into the uh, ne next phase. But basically, it's not important anymore. Uh, it's just design. Now, we yeah. also have pilot studies and first in human which are also different because explain explain difference from that first in human it's first time we're going to give a drug 
this type of compounding to a human being. While the pilot, it might be even a generic drug that we're trying to see it has the same PK and PD values from the already approved medication because it's generic. We also have phase ones when we change um, the way we're giving the medication. So if I wanna give for oral to nasal, it has to be in a phase one because we have to be able to prove that it works as the same and the delivery hasn't changed. Or if you wanna say, or if we wanna change, um, what is it called? Or if we wanna change indication. So sometimes the medication was approved for asthma and now we find out it's also approved for, you know, it works in hypertension. So we have to do that. Or if we wanna go to pediatrics and, and teens, we also have to do a phase one study. So, so in the case of like, let's say it's an asthma drug and now you want to try it for hypertension. We're actually seeing a lot of that in the 505B2 pathway. Carla, you and I had a call earlier today with somebody. Um, so let's say for that case, like asthma, the drug's already approved. Now another company came out. They want to reformulate the generic into hypertension drug. Phase one already been done. Do they need to do like all of it again? Not all of it because some of the data they have it is just if they change something in the compound or the vehicle, how they're going to give it. So it's really specific, especially with the file five application. Sometimes it's needed, sometimes it's no, but FDA will mostly send you to phase one. It will send the one who says, yes, you need it, or you need to go back to the uh, phase one. And something that Carla mentioned that is important, I I forgot to mention, uh, remember every uh, approved drugs, every patent drugs, uh, the license expired in, 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 let's say, four, five, eight years. Uh, and then uh, once you're going to do the generics, then you have to go back to the phase one. Those studies are called B and B bioequivalence study or biosimilar if it's a, 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 a biologic, biological compound. For example, you know, if it's uh, Viagra, for example, uh, you know, and then now I'm going to do the over the, the, I mean, not the over the car, the, the generic version, they have to go back to the phase one again, and prove that this genetic Viagra is as effective as the, 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 the patent compound and as safe as the patent compound. They have to prove that. They have to actually demonstrate that it's not generic. It's, it's the same. Uh, that's why most people uh, don't understand what they say, well, I'm taking a generic medication. Well, yeah, it's generic. But uh, through the clinical research that they did in phase one and then in later phases, they proved that that pill that you're taking is similar, is, is bioequivalent uh, to the genetic, uh, to the uh, brand compound. And if in the case of biological, they don't, they don't, they don't, they don't uh, define as bioequivalence, they say biosimilar, you know, because it's the mechanism to produce those medications are different, but they have to prove the same concept. This medication, which is, gene- is biosimilar, is similar to the compound, to the uh, 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 brand name medication, is similar in efficacy and in safety. And remember, FDA plays a very value in safety. Uh, sometimes they don't require that the medication be as efficacious, but safety is an issue for them. It has to be almost the same safety profile or better than the uh, brand, brand name medication. So you're talking about like enantiomers, right? Like uh, for, uh, for biosimilar, like basically it's the same drug, it just... It's the same, bioequivalence and bioequivalence is the same t- uh, terminology, uh-huh. but a different compound. Bioequivalence are compounds like Viagra, uh, and biosimilar is only uh, biological compound. Uh, 
uh, antileukin factor one, you know, because the mechanism to produce those medications are different. They use different uh, methods to obtain uh, biological compound. They are interleukin inhibitor, or they are MAC, or they are monoclonal antibody, et cetera. So they name that process to uh, approve those drugs biosimilar, not bioequivalent. Bioequivalent in, in, in drugs like, you know, aspirin, uh, any, any brand, but it's produced in the lab. And you, you know, you put, you smash the, the compound, you put it in a capsule, you put it in a tablet, that's bioequivalent. When you do a monoclonal antibody, when you do those biological compounds, the terminology is biosimilar because they are producing bacteria and, and a special type of equipment that is different from uh, the, 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 you know, the pill or, or capsule or tablets or what have you. So it's not just replicated like exactly. There's some differences. That's why it's called biosimilar. It's biosimilar. It's not the compound that they did it in the uh, uh, initial condition. It's, 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 I would say, it's, uh, to use some term, it's cheaper to produce a biosimilar com uh, a, a, a compound that the uh, patent or brand new. So if you, if you take Humida, for example, the, the brand Humida is very expensive. Once you do the biosimilar, it's, much less, it's, it's cheaper because the uh, process involved in the produce and, and the production of that compound is cheaper. It's the same, but not the same. <laughs> I see. So that method of creating this basically the same compound in a different way. Yeah, but because uh, of the difference on creation, we have to go back to phase one. I see. Because you okay. change something in the vehicle. The same thing happens with generics or the same thing when a medication gets approved and they're trying to change indication or they're trying to change how to give it. So let's say you're changing indication. I mean, you go back to, I guess it would depend, right? If it's bioequivalent or biosimilar. Exactly. In that and, case. and to be honest with you, FDA, it has the last vote because you might have a lot of data on it. Like I did a phase one on uh, peridium. We have information from peridium since the 80s, and it's pretty safe. But because they wanted exact information, because we don't have any data, they asked us to go back to phase one. So we had to go phase, phase one in a peridium because they were changing um, to try to do it over the counter here in the U.S. It's still, we don't have, I think only one company has peridium now in the U.S. And they're trying to give an, an over-the-counter ultra countries, and it's hard because it's still waiting to be prescribed. So you see how it changes. So it really, the regulation, it's what, especially if something that we have out for years already. And remember, genetic doesn't mean that they are over the counter. Uh, that's a very important uh, yeah. distinction mm -hmm. because genetic doesn't mean that the medication is over the counter. When the medication goes to uh, genetic but prescribed by a physician to over the counter, that's a different process. Because yeah. you know the safety, the safety of the medication, of course, was established, and you don't need to uh, have a licensed physician to prescribe it. But still, you know they have protocol. When you when you go over the counter, they have different protocol that those medications need to be fit on uh, those protocol under the FDA rule. So usually, what you say, an easy way, although maybe not always the rule, is if it's a pill, it's it's probably a bioequivalent, right? No, oh, the, the name the name to produce a generic pill is bio. The name it's just a name. The process. I mean, like I said, the difference between calling bioequivalent is because pill, you know, they go through the manufacturing process 
It's simple. You put the, I don't, I don't know, but you put the powder together and you get filled. In the case of the biologica, there are the, the, you know, the, 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 uh, the way that they, they are uh, manufactured are completely different, more complex because they are biological. They are sometimes they use bacteria to the different. Mm. Uh, it's, it's a very complex. Uh, it's not easy, but uh, that's what they call it biosimilar. They're never going to be the same. Yeah. Uh, the pattern compound is biosimilar, but that, that's a terminology. It's nothing really. And if you're doing a 505B2, you're basically using the generic version of whatever compound you're testing, but you're repurposing or reformulating, right? Exactly. Sometimes, sometimes yeah. Uh -huh. Exactly. Sometimes it's changing, sometimes it's not. But again, the FDA is the one who has the last word mm -hmm. because even if you use that application, it means that you had, you know, it's already safe. You know, it's a work uh, sometimes have efficacy, but still we don't know if you change the vehicle or the formulation, if it's still the same. So they will probably make you go back to the... Uh, but usually... In the, in the HIV, for example, in the HIV uh, realm, sometimes you have a compound, let's say that you have uh, indinavir. I'm, I'm talking about an example now. Indinavir, which you already know the safety profile, you know how it works, but now you're gonna have you're gonna put the indinavir where the COVID is tied. Now you're gonna put two medications together. Each one has its own safety profile, but now you put it together. Okay. The FDA say, okay, you may use the data from them separate, but now you have to prove that when you combine them, it's gonna have the same safety profile exactly. because the efficacy already established. I mean, it's separate, but now you're gonna put it together. You have to demonstrate me that putting these two compounds together or three compounds together, uh, they're going to be safe uh, for the patients. And they will send you again to a phase one. Correct. So that's, bas <laughs> that's basically just a new drug, like all entirely. Right. I mean, you go through in some way, In some way, yeah, but, you know, you have two medications. There's already two medications that uh, were already um, approved. approved individually. Now you put it together. Yeah, okay. together. The FDA yeah. say, I don't care. I don't care. Yeah, now you put it together, you have to prove that that process that you did, whatever you did, is going to be safe for the... for the. And, and for example, Calitra is another example. Calitra is a use for the HIV. And now they want to try to prove that it's also efficacious against the COVID. They have to go back and get Calitra to um, um, phases and then go back from, from that process forward. Mm -hmm. And this is why, I mean, this is another, maybe another podcast, but this is why uh, companies are hesitant to, like, for example, during COVID, you know, we saw like the ivermectin protocol, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, and vitamin C, D, and zinc, right? Like all those have their own safety profiles already, but combining them for the purpose of COVID requires pretty big budget to go from phase one all the way through, just like it's a brand new drug. Nobody really wanted to do that. You relying on the NIH for grants. That's another topic. But yeah, this is interesting. I could see how this could get complicated. So that means that not, not all phase one study are designed the same. There's some have cohorts, some don't have cohorts, some like where this is a, a lot to take in for phase one. Yeah, so basically in phase one, we have like five different designs, five or six different designs. So we have the uh -huh. phase A, 1B, food effect, we have drug-to-drug -drug interaction, we have for hepatic and renals, which is another 
super interest portion of it. And Dr. Rondon is an expert in this one. So what we do is we find patients that have uh, some type of renal impairment, uh, whether it's a stage two, three, or four. And what we're trying to do, because we're trying to develop a drug that works for that type of patient. So we need to find now a patient that it has this sickness. And at the same time, we have to find a similar patient healthy to see how the body with the with the renal impairment and how the healthy, their different, their, their metabolism is different, how it affects each one. So we call those a special population. So some of the phase one facilities that we work at actually have in-house is just a capabilities for renal and hepatic patients because still they need to get, they get new medications and the only way to get them through approval and FDA approval, it's doing a phase one on them. So we have to find an exact match, healthy and sick to see how the drug affects both bodies. Healthy and sick. Yes. Yes. Every, every single patient, every uh, mild, moderate and severe patient of this type of special population get a match. So you said uh, X patient, he weighs 85 pounds. He has, uh, he's, a, he's a female and he has a uh, 50-year-old. You have to find a match, healthy one, that among, you know, a range of, of, of allowance has 80 pounds, has 25-year-old, is 25-year-old, and he's a female. So uh, that's, that's, you know, when you read the, the Prospero or the uh, indication for the medication, you see those arena adjustments with that particular medication that came from that type of study. When you see, if you have an hepatic impairment, you have to adjust this medication to this level that came from those type of study. That's a study generally uh, different from the healthy one that are open label. You, you don't give any placebo or anything like that. You give the medication. We call them fitted and bleeded. You give open label, one dose of the medication, and start doing PKs. I've heard that before, actually. So special population different because it's not just feed it and bleed it. There's placebos involved. In the, in the special population, there is usually, usually, I have seen a few that they want to see the placebo effect. And that's another topic very uh, interesting. I haven't seen placebo much. I haven't seen, no, but I, I actually, I actually, I have one hepatic study that it was it was a uh, placebo control. They have placebo on it, um, but, but it was very very rare, very rare. Very, for the very healthy rare. portion, I imagine? No, I, I don't remember the full design, but it was a placebo involved. So okay. they, they don't have the full, it was not open label to, okay. to say it in that way. Um, um, you know, um, placebo is, is a very uh, controversial topic, but that we, you know. Is that common in phase one, placebo? It's very common. I mean, most of the study to be actually uh, uh, the data uh, be good, it has to be randomized, double-blind, placebo control. Majority of them in healthy population. Otherwise, they don't have the the power of 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 uh, interpretation of that study is 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 biased if you don't do that. But what's the purpose of the placebo? Because, I mean, you're establishing maximum tolerated dose. You're looking at the PKPD. What's, it feel and, like it's and, a waste of time, no? No, but dep depending, on, depending on the design. Uh, and you want to know if, if whatever side of side, mainly the placebo, the function of the placebo is to compare any side effects that the patient has 
is, the, is just the random, the placebo effects, or is related to the medication. You don't have any other way to interpret the data and give a powerful data if you don't, so, if you don't know if the headaches produced by X dose that you give in the medication is related to the medication or is just randomly assigned. You know, it's a placebo effect. So you have to give placebo. Most of the healthy population, uh, unless they are wanna, you know, determine by open label the PK of the drugs, is mostly uh, placebo control. And then again, the other ones that I've seen that we use a lot of placebo is also when we're doing comparative from the actual brand name to the generic, they will add an arm for placebo because they need to make sure that the, the efficacy, the C, the PKPD changes from no someone who doesn't have any drug because they're taking placebo to someone that is actually taking the brand name and the generic name. So that's how the generic brand. So that's how they can see the difference. Okay. Can, can we talk? So does every phase one have a cohort, like different cohorts, cohort one, two, three, four, five? Yeah. Not every one is designed. I mean, depending it on depends the design. On design. Most of the ones I've done, it depends. So sometimes we have a single ascending dose, which that means I'm going to give one dose to a cohort of three or four or nine people. Then my next single ascending dose will be a little bit more with another cohort, which I'm going to call cohort two, and then so on. But it really depends on the design, because I had also phase one studies that is just a single dose with nine people, and, and you know, we finished the 72 hours PK, a follow-up visit, and the study is done. So it really depends on the design of the trial. So, so that's a sad, example, right? They, they, have, they have designed that they have two arms of treatment, arm, uh, treatment A and treatment B. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you take you take a cohort one, you give us you randomly assign treatment A to treatment B, then for 10, 15 days, then you have a watch out period, and then you have cohort two, the same people, then actually you reverse the, the randomization, mm-hmm. and now you give you know assign treatment A, treatment B, and placebo, of course. So it depends on the design. You you know it's very yeah. uh, you know, the design can vary in in different type of study, but you know that's me. What you just described right now is that multiple ascending dose? No, no, it to, doesn't have to be multiple. It's two three uh, milligrams. R A thirty milligrams, R B eighty milligrams. But we okay. can also do it in multiple ascending doses. So maybe just very simple: single ascending dose, multiple ascending dose. Like main difference for average people so to understand. Single ascending dose. It's I'm gonna give one dose for uh, just one dose. So I'm gonna give you one drug. One dosing, then I'm going to take blood every single hour. That's a single ascending dose. Then I'm going to get another cohort, giving one dose, and then take because while multiple ascending doses is, I'm going to give you a drug on day one, and drug on day two, and drug on day three, and I'm going to do PKs every day because I'm doing multiple ascending doses. I'm, I'm giving multiple dosings. So Exactly, waited to then they gave one twenty one and then gave the next one one fifty to two hundred and eighty milligrams. In that way, they determine which is the most, um, the maximum tolerated dose for the particular compound. Right. I would imagine those kind of studies, the IRB is most concerned with. I guess they are concerned with any of them because they really <laughs> concerned with. Uh, I mean, like I said, you you given to healthy population. So you have to have a special rule for them because they don't have you don't want a healthy person to get sick mm-hmm. and, and, and as possible, but that's the purpose 
That's why informed consent in phase one, in everyone, I don't, I'm not going to give any more importance to one to the other, but in this one, they have to understand really, really what they are, they are uh, facing to. They need to understand that they have to get it. Have to be, sometimes they have telemetry, sometimes they have cardiac effects because they, are, they affect the, the QTC. So they give you, for example, uh, ciprofloxacin, which is, you know, a, 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 a drugs that, that uh, uh, prolong the, the QT, and then they compare that one to the real, do, the real dose. So those, those patients have to be in telemetry. You know, they, the cardiac monitoring is very, they have halter. Sometimes they have to do a multiple CKG, triple EKG every, every two hours. So those studies are very uh, intensive, uh, I start. Yeah. That's yeah. why, you know, you know basically, uh, phase one, the physician involvement has to be almost 100% because you have to, you know, the from, they have the screening period, you have to get all those screening lab, and then yeah. in day minus one, you, you determine which is the patient that you're going to enroll or randomize into the study, and then the day one, you have to do certain inclusion, they have to go through the inclusion and exclusion criteria again, and then, you know, you have to intensively EKG, vital signs, physical examination, so the yeah. PI need to be. In, yeah. in late phases, they have the advantage that, you know, the coordinator can help you coordinating the, the, the conduction of the study and you get to get involved. It's very important that, and I always tell my friend, listen, not because you are in late phases, physician involvement still is a huge. Mm -hmm. And the FDA look for that. The people believe that the FDA done, don't look uh, before, uh, before, Unfortunately, the, the, most of the physicians were going to, you know, they were going to the site to sign and get the check. Now, my advice to my friends, whoever, uh, because I have done lay phases um, in my second cycle of my, I mean, chapter of my life, I said, no, you have to get involved. Don't sign and sign. You, you need to ask why. Well, why this patient has the elevation of the liver inside? What happened with this lab? Why did they change? What you know? What what what, what medications are we going to give it today? What type of blood? And, and they see that when the FDA come to every side, need to think that it's going to be audited by the FDA. That's the mentality. And every single surgeon is an FDA agent. You have to treat them like that. In yeah. that way, you're not going to have any problem. I get I get a lot of people, myself and Chris. We get a lot of people that are ambitious. They say, Dan, you know what? Like they want to start a site. Okay. And it's not enough to start a regular site. They want to start a phase one. And I always tell them, you have no clue, right? What you're talking about here, what you're wanting to get into. So I don't know. I mean, basically watching and listening to what you just described, that should tell you a little bit about it. But everybody listens to what you said and said, okay, you know what? It's relatively simple, doctor. I mean, we get plenty of healthy people you know, college kids in our community, we can do healthy volunteer. They don't realize the competition is brutal, right? Because you're competing not just against sites in your city, you're competing against sites across the country. When they do phase one, only one site needed usually, right? Yes. Oh, well, it depends, again, design. Design, sometimes what they want to prove with 100 patients, if you can do it in one site, that's okay for them. What you, If you want to do 300, and it's the, the study, you know, sometimes even with healthy soldiers get, com get complex because they need a special population, BMIs, uh, among a range of BMI. And sometimes it's not that easy. I mean, 
you know, and, and healthy people, they don't, you know, sometimes you have sick people that are more willing to participate because they're afraid that I'll come. If I'm diabetic, I, diabetic, I say, you know what? This drug is going to be approved for diabetes. So not only for yeah. the moment, I'm going to participate just for the interest that I have in the outcome. In the healthy population, it's, it's difficult. Uh, they are professional uh, projects that they are in different sites. So it's, it's, it's compli complicated. And, there was a website called, uh, I don't know if it's still around, but it was like 10 years ago, just another lab rat. And it was uh, a guy from Philadelphia. There was like a documentary on these people and they would go to different clinics to travel across the country. And it was like full-time job for them to, you know, just join phase one studies. Like, what is your thoughts on this uh, doctor? Do you see this a lot? Oh, in Florida, it's the capital. Of, of, <laughs> um, people are getting creative. We have a system though. Uh, not everybody participating in them. But it's a system based on, on your fingerprint. Okay. Yeah, you, you go to your fingerprint, just your, your fingerprint in, 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 in your side that you conduct in, uh, the study. And everybody who is in that system will see whether you are participating in another study or not. Mainly, and, you know, that's useful for phase one. Uh, but the, 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 the con is like not everybody's in the system. So if you're not in the system, you, you don't want to see, you don't want to hear. You just, okay, I don't want to know. Uh, you come into my side and I will do the stuff. But that's, uh, but you know, they, there was a case in Florida, they were doing uh, a CDF collided study, phase one. So, of course, you know, to classify or to or to be eligible, you have to have CDF collided. They use one, they use one stool to class, to, to qualify 10 people with one stool. <laughs> All right, they, you know, they get paid and everything and everything was fine until they didn't realize that the, there is a consent for genetic testing as well. And most people, don't, they don't know what is that. But you have to sign two separate consent. They get that consent and the consent for biogenetic testing. Guess what? When they analyze the genetic material in that thesis, was the same person. They Blue. were all the same. Wow. They were the same. So uh, it's complex guy. Uh, I was a pleasure. I told Carla that I have a, uh, another meeting at 6.30. And and really has, that that has gone fast, and it's I'm looking very forward fast. for for uh, participate with you, Dan. You are an inspiration. You don't know. I know you for a long time. Even even uh, uh, we don't have, we haven't talked at all. Uh, but you know, friend of mine, and and you really really uh, helping people to go through uh, the basics and and beyond of the research. And I, I appreciate your inviting me. Uh, with my English, which like a Celia Cruz, not good looking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, you did great. Thank you. I didn't know about that, but thank you. I mean, I know, I know you've got to go. Everybody, go follow on LinkedIn underneath Carla. Maybe hang out for a little bit, like five ten minutes. We'll wrap this up. Sure. Uh, but I appreciate it, Doctor. Everybody, go connect Doctor Rondon right now on LinkedIn, and we'll do part two. We have to do a part two because we have to do part two. There are many things to. Uh, especially again, not 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 given more importance that of, of uh, informed consent in phase one. And, and here's the main issue with it. I've been in this industry since 2005. Okay, people think they know phase one. They don't know. Once you like, you don't know what you don't know. That's the problem. The more I started talking to Carlo over the years, the more I realized that I don't know much about phase one. Very little. That's the beauty of phase one. It's like a, you learn something every day because it's the study that you're conducting on the field. 
you know, there is no tomorrow. There is no seven-day windows. You conduct them right there. And sometimes you present to some situation that you say, what am I going to do now? You read the protocol. The protocol is not even clear on that. And the, the, the sponsor are confused. The, 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 the CROs are confused. Everybody, nobody knows what to do. And this is the only job that I always say. This is the only job you delegate uh, duty, but never responsibilities. You, you are responsible for everything, even when you don't have control. And sometimes you have to make the best decision. Um, my advice to uh, the phase one investigator is, if you have to stop the dose, please do it. Until you're not clear, get a deviation, but not a violation. So be sure that everything goes back to the protocol, read again, listen to the most simple guy in the floor, they may give you an insight better than what you have. Be humble, you know, learn, listen every opinion. When you are in the floor of phase one, there are 40 people, Dr. Oversteen, a friend of mine, he says, we have like 40 hands talking the same subjects. 40 hands, the EKG guys, you know, it's like a, it's like a theater. You know, 40 people on the same guy. But everybody has an opinion. So you listen to them, and then finally you have to make your own decision. But it's very, it's very uh, rewarding uh, and job and uh, not bored at all. So uh, you, having said that, uh, we have to do it uh, too. I'm, I'm very. Uh, we'll do part two for sure. I really appreciate it. I know you gotta go, but everybody go follow Doctor underneath the LinkedIn right there. Go follow, go connect, go learn, and uh, Carla and I will stay on for a little bit longer. But I appreciate your time, Doctor Rondon. Thank you very much. Thank have you. Have a doctor. good day. You too. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> I don't know where uh, to end because I wanted to keep asking him questions. Um, questions yes. Well, you know what's well, needed? We need a book like this book. Shameless plug, guys. By the way, I hear it's 4.8 stars on Amazon. 4.8. You know, not bad. You're always going to have a few haters. We need a book like this for every phase. We need a phase one, the comprehensive guide to phase one. Guys, don't make me do it. Somebody can do this. But if not, I'll do it. Maybe the first one we'll co-author with Carla. The Comprehensive Guide to Phase 1 Studies, Phase 2, Phase 3, Phase 1. I mean, they, we need that because it's not enough. Like, you think you know. All I knew, Carla, I kid you not, my entire career, 2005 until present, maybe I had like two studies where I was a, a monitor or an auditor for Phase 1. That's it. I've done hundreds of other studies. All I understood is we're trying to get maximum tolerated dose and we're trying to see how the body reacts to the drug and how the drug reacts to the body. That's all I knew. I didn't know all this other stuff. Yes, you know? it gets very complex. And then uh, just to recap a little bit of what you just said about um, people thinking it's easier, just to give you an idea how a phase one floor looks, it's about, it looks like a small hospital in a in a emergency situation even though everyone is calm you see mm. people walking around the bed asking the patients how are you feeling looking because that's what we do we want to watch the subjects to see if there is any drowsiness if there is any dizziness because sometimes they will think it's them and it's actually the drug so the, the whole people that are on the floor which is about 40 people just for nine or ten patients are just watching and talking to each other through hands through through movement so the floor feels comfortable but you see a lot of people walking around uh, we have in 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 this case where dr Rondon was talking about we met each other like five in the morning several times in the clinic 
and and I see from paramedics. Five in the morning. What are you doing yeah. there at five in the morning? Because You're a CRA. I have to dose witness and I have to make sure eligibility is fine. Dose witness. Yes, that's part of the sponsor this requirement. Stuff gets complicated, Carla. On the top of your head, okay. How many people in U.S. like uh, are capable of being phase one CRA? <laughs> what, well, okay, what percentage of CRAs in the industry can do phase one? I would say about ten or twenty. It's not much. It's about Why? the same. You think it's the hardest? It's the hardest to do, and it's more complex. And because we we have to be at clinics at five in the morning. Um, we have to dose witness. We have to contract sometimes IVs. Dose witness. Yep, yep, yep. And some wow. sponsors would like me to be there into like um, the eight PK it's done so I can see how all of the drug is going. Some other sponsors want me for a whole day uh, just to see adverse events. Like I have a study that the drug will cause you vomiting. So they wanted to see how much vomiting was for wow. a day in patients. And we could not have like patients were in one little room each because if you see another person vomit, what's gonna happen? You're gonna gonna vomit. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so I had to jump from room to room to count how many it was and things of that nature. So it's very or I mean overnights, they do a lot of overnights. I have never stayed overnight in a clinic as a CRA, <laughs> but you when I not. Run, <laughs> But I had when I had to run a phase one clinic, I, I remember being the first one in and the last one to leave. So right. Running it is different, I understand. But CRA, you expect you okay, know. you just yeah. show up and you go, you monitor and you leave. No, that's that's not all we do. <laughs> not for phase one. This is crazy. Oh. One of the things I wanted to ask Dr. Rhonda, and maybe you can help. Uh, we're gonna do a part two. We're gonna have him on Latinos and Clinical Research. Maybe we'll do one in Spanish too. I think that would be really good. These patients that join, okay, I mean, I don't know if they still do, but they used to call themselves, they called themselves lab rats. Now, it kind of gives a bad impression to phase two patients, phase two and three, because now everybody assumes, okay, anybody who does a clinical trial is a lab rat. I mean, they say it themselves, but these are very different type of studies. They're very different type of patients doing, of course, you have people looking for money in all the phases, but it, like I just screen failed a patient yesterday for a dermatology condition. And I told her there's four, we randomly assigned to four arms. It, it's a phase two A. So it's, they're still finding the dose, three doses, medium, low, high, or placebo. That's your options. It's like flipping a coin. I don't know which one you're going to get. You don't know. You might get placebo. And she told me, she said, it doesn't matter because I, and she had bad, she had the condition bad and nothing worked for her. She said, I, it doesn't matter because I'm helping future people with this condition. And yeah. I was like, whoa, <laughs> like let's, unfortunately we, we had to screen fill her, but in phase one patients, do you have the same mentality? Or do you, is it more about like I'm just trying to make money here? No, actually, it is and it's not. We we do have a good percent of the patients that are there, obviously because of their circumstances. But 
a lot of them, especially when it comes to special population studies, that they're not they're matching for an equal uh, person that is sick. Those are our superheroes because they know they're doing it because they their data will be safe for the rest of their life. Just let me add to that a little bit more. We had some studies before that um, it was a phase one study and we needed a CSF. And this was a diagnostic for Alzheimer's, early Alzheimer's. I mean, how many healthy people would want to go a CSF? But when we when and a lot of the people that came in actually were people that had relative that Alzheimer's is Alzheimer's was discovered 10, 20 years before, it will have changed their life. So they went through this process knowing that their data it's gonna save a lot more people and effectively did. We actually have a, 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 a test in MRIs that detects your, the Alzheimer's in early age. So mm. it does pay off. So we do have some superheroes. Not everyone is there, but we do see them in phase one as well. Yeah, that, that's good to know. that, And that's a, that's a pretty cool story. And I guess I didn't think about it, but if you had like a relative who died, you know, maybe Alzheimer's, maybe cancer, and you know you're in that same indication. Maybe you can get like the genetic stuff. You can get like a pre- like a screening to see if you are also going to be at risk for this this condition as well. And then in phase one, also it's, it's a lot more transparent. Like I had studies where we had to stop it because we knew that um, car there were we were seeing cardiac issues throughout all the patients, so we had to stop it. And, and we tell them, like, we sit down and tell them, look, this is this is what's happening. We are going to follow you up. They do get scared, but we don't leave them alone. That's that's the whole purpose of having an investigator involved, because doctors will sit down with them, explain, follow up, and make sure that you're coming as healthy as you're leaving. But we cannot guarantee that because it's a phase one trial. So sure. they, they do understand the risk. Even when we do phase one, the IC sites take longer when it comes to do an investigator. Or they consent, I'm sorry, because they have to understand what are the potential risks that I'm signing up. So what am I going to get, you know, can I get a cardiac condition? You know, it's my body going to come back to the regular, especially, and we're talking about orals. I mean, when it comes to IVs or, or now where we're doing with COVID, we're doing a lot of nasal things, loss of taste. Vaccines. Exactly. So it's, it, they know that they come into a risk. And again, I, I, if they call themselves lab wraps, I, I, I don't know, but um, I do feel encouraged all of these people that are putting themselves at risk for the next generation, basically. This is a crazy industry. Uh, Carla, thank you so much for arranging the interview and bringing on Dr. Rondon. It was amazing. Uh, I'll put both of your LinkedIn's underneath this video so go follow if you haven't already what's wrong with you guys first of all you know go follow carla and connect with her um she gives regularly she gives this lec this lecture to the cra academy students we gotta do that again sad (laughs) sad mad whenever you have time let me know we'll do one for the cra interns but thank you so much carla and thank you everybody for watching and listening and we gotta do more thank you have a good day Bye.